Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we'll be discussing the landscape of the construction technology ecosystem, specifically focused on what APIs can do for our industry. We'll also dig into how construction technologists and other tech-savvy construction pros can really dig into their tech stack to bring it to the next level. Joining me in today's discussion are Brandon LeCourcier, Director of Customer Success at Autodesk, and Mark Decker, a Senior Manager at CDM Smith. Thanks for joining me, guys. Can you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Thanks, Eric. My name is Brandon LaCourcier, Director of Customer Success here at Autodesk. I've been with Autodesk now for almost eight years. Prior to that, I came from industry, served as a BIM manager, worked in a VDC group, served as an estimator, but really started in construction as a rough framer forever ago, working on my uncle and dad's framing crews. Great. And I'm Mark. I'm from CDM Smith. I do have the dreaded architecture background, starting in high-end residential around 2006. I'm switching to construction in 2011. And then recently made a change to the engineering side of the equation, working for CDM Smith. Great. Thanks, guys. I think between the three of us, we cover pretty much all aspects of the construction job site, which is going to make for a fun call, I think. So for the first segment of today's show, we're going to be discussing construction ecosystems, specifically unpacking what APIs can do for the average construction company. There is a great deal of potential as construction technology becomes more integrated, but I think there are also many misconceptions on what integrations and APIs actually bring to the table. As our audience considers leveraging different tools, they need to ask themselves the right questions before they act. It can be hard to know where to start, especially for those that are just starting the path to digital transformation. Mark, can you tell us about experimenting with different construction tech and your process for evaluating what might benefit your team? You bet. Construction tech's a fun one. It's really hard to not want to bring all the best and greatest tools to your company. So first off, I think one of the best things just to always have as an underlying factor is a really good business case for when you do this. You really need to know what you're trying to solve, the problems you're trying to solve, and how you're going to do that. You need to communicate this too and find out what resources you need to make that happen. What's it going to cost, of course, which everybody hears. What changes are going to happen when you do do this rollout? How do you know if you're going to be successful? And what needs to be maintained once you do roll this new idea out? And these are the things that if you have great answers for these, it really will help you bring technology into your company. As a, some experience lessons learned, balancing the technologies you bring into the company too is really important. It's really great to have some immediate value or some immediate wins on the table that you bring. And when you do bring in other technology that requires big shifts in your company, if you have a couple wins under your belt and people are starting to recognize that you're providing value to the company, it's a little bit easier to have those big wins. Exposure is key too, right? So not only to the technology and people and what's going on in the industry, but getting that experience from the company. And not only your experience is your role within the ecosystem, but you also have the people that are using your company on a daily basis. So anywhere from HR, recruiting, accounting, pre-con, IT, warehouse, all these people are kind of secondary that we think about as opposed to the project management team, but also can intertwine and bring in the or support that construction tech coming into the company. 
And lastly, I'd say, you know, sometimes you have to go out on your own, get some experience if you're not getting it from your company. And if you ever heard of these AEC hackathons or where we put technology and construction needs together in one place, these are great opportunities to go out and see what's going on and kind of think about construction differently or think about problems a little different. If you guys are ever interested in doing a little Googling, you can check out my hard hat and rev at my drone. Brett Young and myself have built a couple hackathon projects and, and those are some fun ones that you can find out on, on YouTube. I love the hackathon theme and we actually are having one right now at Autodesk. Our engineering team does one every year. It's been kind of a bummer that we're not in the office right now because they grace us with snacks and all sorts of other nonsense to keep the spirits high as you know the, the engineering team kind of goes hard on some of these more difficult problems and you know bringing software to our customers. It's always a fun week. So from a 10,000 foot view, Brandon, can you kind of dig into what an API is for our listeners and evaluate why they're so important to construction tech? It's a term that's thrown around so much and it's, it's really important. And I, I want to make sure everybody listening understands the value that an open API can bring to you know, the construction tech ecosystem. Sure. I think APIs kind of become a verb, right? I mean, it's it's not, I don't think everyone even understands what API stands for, which is application programming interface. And I say that with just a grain of like, I didn't know what that meant all that long ago either. So worth pointing out, like, it's okay to ask those questions. I think it's just become this buzzword in a lot of ways, similar to BIM and IPD and all these other things. I think API has kind of been confused in some ways with the code that represents the, the platform or the program that you're looking to integrate when realistically your API at its core is the communication and connection between two tools. You know, we have that ability with an application client or a piece of software for that one piece of software to communicate with another leveraging API requests, right? So if I, you know, perform some activity or action in one solution, and I want it to trigger something else in another, that's where this API comes into play, right? That communication between these two you know, sort of interfaces. And if we think about it diagrammatically, what we're oftentimes doing with an API is performing you know, really core important functions and whatever tool is part of our day-to-day, -day, right? So if we maybe move away from software and think of it in the context of ordering food at a restaurant or really any sort of situation where you're asking you know, for something, and requesting something in return, API is really that that server, or that person, or that that application that provides that connection to you know your demand. Now, the challenge that we we see a lot of times with customers is that, and really we see this holistically in all industries, but I think it's most notable in construction is that you know a lot of the applications and the tools that are out there today, although awesome and they address the day to day needs, because the maturity level of a lot of these solutions is changing so rapidly and the demand from users is so dynamic and it's so instant. A lot of times I think teams look at maybe the shortcomings of one solution and the API that's accessible as a way to mitigate you know, issues or features that may not be present in a tool that they've decided to standardize on. And that need to have the immediate gratification of whatever application they're using sometimes sort of pushes that demand and that drive for APIs to address problems with the solution that's been purchased. Now, why that's so relevant to construction is sort of twofold. I mean, first and foremost, the industry is populated with hundreds of tools. I mean, every day there's something new. Every day um, there's some new application, some new tool, some new easy button to fix the day-to-day -day challenges. 
And as awesome as that is for the industry, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that that would create challenges where customers become dependent on one tool for one problem and another tool for a different. And we all know that as great as those point solutions might be, the disconnect can be catastrophic, right? The disconnect between these two tools can be a real challenge. And APIs have provide that opportunity to alleviate that disconnect, right? APIs have that, that ability to alleviate that disconnect. But at the same time, and we'll, I think we'll talk about this a bit further, APIs are just an opportunity to connect. They're not a guarantee, right? Just because I have an open API between two applications and the two have a willingness to talk to one another, it doesn't guarantee success. And I think that's part of what we need to talk about as an industry is that it's not enough to just you know, hear that a product has an open API. We can say that probably about most tools on the market today. It's understanding what that API was built to do and understanding the integrations and communications that it can enable. That's what I think we really need to focus on moving forward around the API conversation. Yeah, I really like that. I think the from the other side too, when you're starting to understand APIs, is you got to really understand the inefficiencies that are in your ecosystem, right? Things that are going wrong or that could be better in your company. And one of the hardest things is you have a solution, but you don't have a problem, right? And I think a lot of people get to that place really fast because we're we're sold solutions all the time. So one thing that I really suggest is you know you got to create this list or you got to ask these questions and start asking around and start really having this part of your vernacular where you're asking, you know, what is a problem? What's going on? What's not working? How can we make things better? And then this API really starts to make sense because you can start to connect the dots and see how these tools can work together to become more efficient. So I think it's obvious that APIs are a very powerful tool to have in the back pocket of any construction technologist or somebody looking to move data from one system to another. Are there questions that our audience should consider as they evaluate different vendors and make sure that they don't fall into the pitfalls of thinking that it's an easy button that just simply connects everything from A to B without you know having to put any real legwork in behind it? Yeah, I think one of the hardest parts is to differentiate between I can do it or I need to do it. And I think we finding the business cases, again, kind of going back to the original comment is, is going to help answer that. If you can really have a, I need to do it, and this is why answer, that will help with that conversation. And then you're going to find also that there's just some softwares or some workflows in your company that are not they're too customized and are excluded from API or from integration. And so you got to understand that too. You got to understand your ecosystem so you know where you can and can't log in or where things maybe need to change bigger before you can get there. Yeah, I think Mark's points well to, I think everyone should know like part of how I met Mark and, and got an opportunity to meet Mark was, you know, I walked into his office in a situation where you know we're talking about you know potentially offering his company at the time some solutions and to try to solve some problems and we, you know we did the typical sales spiel where we explain our value we explain the problems we can solve and only to sort of see behind Mark this like laundry list to his point this list of things that he's dealing with these challenges he's dealing with and yeah, I thought what Mark did really well that I really enjoyed working with him on was that he understood the objective that his teams were trying to address. He didn't start by thinking, what tool can I buy to solve a problem? He started by understanding like, here's the pain point, here's the objective that we're trying to address. And then he moved forward with solutions that could help address it. And Mark, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't remember hearing API as a part of that talk track very often. It was more about like, let's find out if this thing works first 
Does it solve the pain point? And then as we're working through that maturity of, is this the right solution? Does it check these five boxes? API was one of those things, but it wasn't the only thing you looked at. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Are there any other aspects of construction integrations that our listeners should consider as they evaluate all of the different software and hardware offerings that are out there? Like Brandon, you mentioned, and it's it's absolutely true, the volume of construction tech right now is immense. And I'd love it if you guys could offer some insight for our listeners on how to navigate the now noisy construction ecosystem where maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. For sure. I mean, I think one thing that's worth saying, you know, right out of the here is that there are very few vendors that anyone in this industry could talk to that are not going to tout their API or their API's accessibility. So let's just put that as table stakes. Most companies that offer solutions to the market offer an open API. There's nothing really unique about that ability. Where the uniqueness comes into play and, and where I think it's worth stressing is that although every company offers an open API, what that means company to company can be very different. And offering that open API, again, just exposes the opportunity for connection. But I think what you're looking for, and I think what the industry should be demanding, not just looking for, but demanding is, don't just tell me there's an open API, show me how it's gonna help my business. Explain to me how, the value of your tool and its core functionality and this accessibility to an open API connects to the other solutions that solve my problems. And I think there's a lot of examples where this is done incredibly well that are less complex to think about. I mean, use one, for example, I always forget my password. I forget my passwords every day to all sorts of logins and Google and Microsoft and all these other things, right? And even taking that a step further, online shopping has become a pretty big pastime here at the house with COVID going on. I hate entering credit card information multiple times. And one of the things that I think companies have done really well, you look at Google and Amazon as an example, every time I log in, I can log in with my Google credential. I don't have to make a new login. Anytime I buy something, regardless of the vendor, Amazon Pay is almost always an option. That's an API, right? Those are calls that are asking for my credentials from another solution. Pretty easy to see the value there for a customer, right? I don't have to make another login and another password. I can just take advantage of these other credentials. Now, I'm not suggesting that user credentials is the core requirement, and we should make sure that that's democratized against all products. I just think it's a good illustration that that's an API call that solves a pain point, right? It's painful to log in multiple times using multiple credentials. So you can see how that API solves a tactical in-the-moment problem. But if all you're looking for is, okay, the customer, the vendor has an open API, all right, check that box. That must mean inherently that it'll tie directly to my ERP solution, or that must guarantee that it'll connect to my safety modules. It's just an opportunity, right? Yes, it could. Yes, it can. I think what you need to be asking though is, will it? How will it do that? How will it work with those solutions? When I'm in the moment and I have a safety issue arise and I log it in my system, what does that look like in exchange for my other solution? The answer should be that it's bi-directional, that it's actually integrating, that it's not just purely a set of webhooks and triggers. It should be a meaningful collaboration between those two solutions. And if it's not, you should know that. Doesn't mean you don't invest. It just means that you understand that limitation up front. 
That's a great comment, Brandon. And I think the the idea is that not everything has to be solved when you integrate with these softwares in the first pass, right? So getting into the software is a huge pain point and actually a great opening the door for what's actually behind the API or how you're using that other software, right? So you got to have that early kind of win again, or that first pass has to be successful. But I think what happens and what's really good to think about is you have to be communicating, be transparent about what the process is, what the goal is, and what we're trying to accomplish and how this is just part of the puzzle that we're trying to solve, right? So if you can start with these small pieces and start to get buy-in, now you're getting an idea or you're getting people to appreciate, okay, well, if I can get this, I can get the bigger picture and start to incorporate more of that other software into how I work. So this is a great thing. And usually it's the communication that gets lost and people lose faith in what you're trying to do. So let's take a step back in time here. Mark, in an earlier conversation that we had had, you mentioned that ERPs or enterprise resource planning platforms were often the hub of construction technology, especially in the early days. Can you share why that isn't necessarily the case any longer? Yeah, I think I have quite a bit of battle scars here on this one. Long story short, we kept on hitting into roadblocks and it was not only the tool or trying to integrate with a tool roadblock or ERP, but it was also people, right? We were running into this people problem where people just were very stuck in their ways and had certain things that they wanted to do and it had to be done this way so that they could do what they wanted to do. And I think what would be good to talk about and just bring to the table is there's two ways to think about it. And this is the left brain, right brain kind of thinking. And if you're really a accounting focused, or if you're really money focused, you're going to want to try to get a good budget established, understand your numbers, get those numbers into the system, manage the numbers. If something goes wrong, you immediately get a flag and you know you need to go fix a problem because the numbers are starting to get off or the cost is getting off. And I think the thing to think about in the way ERPs are maybe another way to work or why you would maybe make a change is the other side of the coin is you don't make this mistake. You have tight numbers. You have good information to make informed decisions. So you avoid the PCO altogether. There is no cost, right? So you're more proactive and you have the tools and the ability to control the project in a different way than by kind of almost tailing the problem, right? So you're never really getting ahead of the problem. You're just seeing the number that lets you know that there's a problem. And that's one of the hardest things that we just tell you. We, the decision makers of today and the technology of today are just not lining up, right? And that's one of the biggest, you know, we, we kind of call it the, the big problem, right? If we can crack that, we unlock all these APIs and all these other workflows and all these tools that work. And we just, we have a hard time getting there because we have this lagging reaction mentality to how to solve problems. I love the way Mark started describing that, right? It's not, if you hear him talking through this, right? It's like, what are the steps our teams need to go through, through not this integration, but through this process, like you crack open lucid chart or whatever tool you use for you know, mapping out a process, like what does that look like visually? And then based off the tools that I'm considering or the tools that I own, where do they fit in? What's the tech stack within those? And then take that a step further and go, all right, I'm going to introduce you know, API in this discussion. I'm going to introduce it so that it can play nice with my finance solutions. Let me figure out where the gaps are in that exchange and then start asking the question, do those gaps get resolved in time with additional development? Do they get resolved in time because part of that process changes? And the reason I think it's important to think of it relative to time is that it's very easy in the moment to come up with tactical solutions that address an immediate pain point. But that all of a sudden opens up the situation where you now have to maintain code. You have to maintain something 
as that process and as those products evolve, which in a lot of cases shouldn't be a problem because the vendor you're working with should be mindful of the fact that your products are going to get better over time, right? We're going to add and introduce new features and functions. But at the same time, we should question whether or not it makes sense to do something tactically, solve the problem in the moment, or if there's a roadmap that solves it six months from now, eight months from now. Because oftentimes what we see and what I see on a daily basis is customers go through this massive effort and extreme time suck to build an in-house solution only to have a product vendor replace it with a feature six months, seven months down the line. Now that's not always the case, but I, I've seen it happen. I can see how unbelievably frustrating it is for that person that spent all that time and energy to now see it replaced with a new feature, a new button. So the other thing is, is if you do do that, you're married to that, right? You have this and you're almost proud of it. And you're going to hold on to that. You're going to, well, say, you know, I spent literally a half a year building this. So I am going to make this work. I don't even want to entertain something new, right? And that's a really, really dangerous way to move forward, right? Because you're locking yourself into something that's artificially better than without even considering something new. And so be careful of that. Be mindful of that. You're going to find that in a lot of places within your company. So I think this is a great moment to pivot towards some advice for our listeners on building these ecosystems. And I'd like to talk about the nuances of construction tech, specifically asking both of you to offer advice for those that are early on in their digitization journey. Now, it goes without saying that larger organizations, of course, have larger budgets and they have more employees available to manage the different pieces of technology that they use. Is there anything our listeners work at mid-sized and smaller companies should prioritize as they start selecting software or begin integrating the different tools that they already use? You got to have a, a concerted effort, right? So if you as a company, regardless of size, can put together a game plan of what you want to accomplish with technology, that's step one. And then you can execute. And a real great suggestion is you can buy the software side of it a little bit. You can find programmers, you can find people that have these experiences, but they won't understand what the problems are. And so you're really looking for those problems or the things that need to get figured out from your people out in the field, right? Or your people around your company, but you have to have an ecosystem that lets them try things, lets them experiment. And I think where a lot of people get this wrong is that they say, yeah, you know, go buy something, give it a try on your project, but you got to put the metrics in place that says, you know, so what'd you learn? How can it apply to us as a company? What's the big picture? And then you can start to implement it, right? If you, A, restrict everybody and keep them so focused on UT or so focused on just getting their job done, you're never going to grow. And you're going to have to create basically a department that grows for the company. Or you create a, an environment that allows people to grow, but do it in a structured system so that it actually kind of acts as that, that third party that can build something for your company. And then you just slowly build on top of that, right? And over time, you'll, you'll come up with the reason why you need a programmer, or you'll come up with the reason why you need a VDC department. Right. These things will literally just pop into focus if you're if you're paying attention. I like everything you said there, Mark. I think one thing, and Eric, I, I, you prefaced the question by saying, like, what can SMB or what can that mid-sized vendor do in this ecosystem play around you know, APIs and integrations? And I think there is this sort of common misconception that like integrations and APIs are a big or a large firm practice. Like only a big company could have an in-house tech department that does these types of things because they're the ones that have the resources. I mean, I can tell you 
just firsthand, I've not seen that be the case, right? I've seen incredibly small, like to the, to the point of you know, 10 man shops that have in-house team members that think about this and do these types of exercises. I think we have to be really realistic and honest about where the entire industry is headed and technology, especially app development, code development, integrations, like this is going to become a bigger part of our business, not a smaller part. I've seen you know, really incredibly small companies again, start making real decisions, whether it's having in-house labor or contract labor that helps support the development of in-house apps. I think what's most important, especially for SMB though, because in a lot of cases, while they, again, I, I would argue that, that that perception that they can't play in this space is incorrect. I think it's worth being honest that they have less room for error, right? In our, in our larger scale companies, right? They have more R&D dollars in a lot of cases to try something. If it breaks, no worries, we try something else. It's an awesome luxury, right? And it's a great thing to have. I'm sure they wouldn't describe it that way, but I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, they do have those dollars. In a scenario of an SMB customer, they may not, right? I mean, swinging and missing big on an API or on an app or on a solution could be the difference between having budget and not having budget for your organization. So I, I think there's two solutions there. One is you could start small, take really small swings, take your really sort of bite-sized steps into the space. And I think you get there, right? I think that works. I think a better practice though, and one that, that I use quite frequently and I bug Mark and I bug others at this all the time is leverage your LinkedIn profile. You know, go to forums, go to sessions where people are already solving these problems at larger scale and learn from them. We have this, construction is really unique in a lot of ways, but I think one of the things that I find the most exciting about tech and construction is that even though it's a big community, it's one that's always willing to help. It's one that's always sort of nurturing and supportive of others. And I don't view it as, a, I don't think they view it as competitive trade secrets. I mean, it's an opportunity to help your peers in a lot of ways to learn the space and to see what works and what doesn't. I think we, one thing that helps those SMB customers that we need to provide better forums for and really provide better outlets towards is community support and figuring out apps that will support their business so that they don't have to go through that challenging trial and error process without some preconceived notions of where they're going to end up. I really think that's critical moving forward with that space. I would say, even look at your own people, right? You're going to find programmers or people that program or understand what's kind of going on almost as a hobby, or maybe they came from that as an experience and you just didn't know about them. And the, the comment is ask, go see if you might have someone because the person that Brandon's talking about that goes to these things has to kind of have an aptitude for this too, right? If you can find that guy that does this on his weekends or is nice, you know, he's using 3D printing as a hobby and he's getting really good at it. And all of a sudden that can be used at your company. You know, those are the kind of people that if you're not looking for, you just don't see them in the forest, right? So, so look there too. I mean, you've got some great opportunity, just probably in-house, just need to find them out. So do either of you have any tips for our listeners who might struggle to get buy-in from others to start using these different tools to better support their work? Yeah, I think getting buy-in from your leadership is mission critical. And the way to do that, or maybe the best way to get them to listen, maybe they're not listening to you, but they need to listen somehow, some way, is you got to get into get your company into cohorts or peer groups. And these are amazing opportunities to be at their level, asking questions that pertain to them, right? And I think one of the biggest things that you need to think about, even if you're in one now as a company, 
make sure these are not echo chambers. Definitely have been in these where we're just flying, we're meeting together and we're reiterating and patting each other on the back for doing essentially a bad job, right? Or like trying to figure out a way to do something with a, a bad tool rather than really thinking about how do we grow or change as a company. Seeing how these companies or how others do the same problem, but with different tools or different ways because of their geographic region or the tools that they have is a great eye-opener. And it just, it lets your management think of it differently. And the other thing is, is you don't have to have one cohort. I would suggest actually multiple, like pre-con should be going to their own, asking their own questions with different people. And they're going to have different experiences by different cohorts or different peer groups. So it's a great way to get buy-in and you can kind of see and have them go to that meeting and kind of ask, you know, so what do you think about this? And see if anybody else has an answer that can either solidify or validate your, your original thought. I think that's exactly right. And if I can put a shameless plug in as well, I think the Autodesk Big Room, which we announced at Autodesk University, is that version of a forum that I think is not an echo chamber because obviously that's professionals from all over the country, all over the globe for that matter. But if you're not familiar, the Big Room is really this collection of forums, of, of online forums that team members can collaborate on. There's hundreds of topics, everything from you know, women in construction to you know how successful firms build trust. I mean, the topics are endless, but I think that's a great outlet for folks that are just looking for a place to start. And if anybody wants to, to jump in there, I'm actually going to be doing an AMA or ask me anything in the big room in the not too distant future. I think it'll probably have already started by the time this episode airs. But if you have a question and you know want to ask it publicly, that's a great opportunity to do it. <laughs> So you've both painted a challenging but exciting landscape for, you know, construction tech and the construction ecosystem. So for the the listeners out there who are excited about everything you've shared here and, and amped up about making something like this a focus of, of their career, do you have any guidance or advice for really making that happen, whether they're at a small business or a large one? Like, what can, you know, Johnny Project Engineer to do tomorrow to, to really, you know, draw that line in the sand and say, I'm excited about construction tech and I'd like to focus on this for, you know, for years to come? Yeah, I guess step one is, first off, don't be intimidated by it. You know, the when you look at programming language for the first time, it's definitely like, whoa, the heck is this? I mean, fortunately, YouTube exists and there are literally millions of videos that kind of walk through tips and tricks and how to do it. There's certainly classes you can take and things like that. I can tell you what helped me especially dabbling was to start in an area where like the stakes were incredibly low and the pain point was really easy to address. One of the first things I ever did to just sort of get experience here, I was constantly getting flagged emails that were really critical to my job, day-to-day -day responsibilities. I used a tool called Zapier to create a trigger that automatically would put urgent emails into a Trello board, which is how I managed some day-to-day -day issues. You know, Zapier, like a lot of solutions, sort of pre-bakes the API integration between other tools. And, you know, whether it's, you know, Autodesk's version of that with our Connect and Construct solutions. And a lot of the other companies that are out there, they have these sort of pre-baked solutions. I think that first step for a lot of customers is, let's figure out a pain point, let's figure out a problem. And to some degree, let's YouTube our way through that first pass. Like, let's, let's just get a sense of what this feels like to have a problem, have a pain point that comes in via email, select that pre-baked trigger and have it do something. I think when you get that, at least for me, when I saw that visually, not in a diagram, not in a pretty picture, not on some PowerPoint slide, but when I saw you know, the picks and clicks and I walked through it, 
it made it a lot easier for me to start asking questions about webhooks and about triggers and about pulls and calls because I understood what that meant. I think if you can start at a very basic level, you start to kind of get a sense of what it is and how it works. It starts to trigger this question and answer session in your head where you start asking like, well, could it do this? Can it pull that? And to Mark's earlier example around ERP solutions, when you're looking at that process map and you've drawn that out, when you understand how you know these pulls and calls and push and, and all these different pieces work, you can start asking those really important questions of, well, how will the data exchange here? How will it push back here? What will the exchange look like? Will it manually update if I change data in one platform versus another? Those are those critical questions that I think start to get inspired. But I, for me, it only happened after I saw it happen firsthand. And as you're learning, it's, I mean, when you interact with these vendors, remember that they are essentially programmers, right? So you are learning from them as much as you can, and you know the problems of your company. So that's a great opportunity to, usually they're going to be more than happy to kind of explain their tool, but as they're explaining their tool, you can be learning, you know, what are these webhooks? What is the API? What's your API look like? Are you updating your API? What does that even mean? Why does that matter? You know, these are, you can maybe even have those questions coming into a lot of your meetings and ask, essentially ask an expert, right? So be strategic a little bit on, on how you want to approach this and how you want to grow into this. And again, I think if you can communicate how you're still getting your work done and you're still getting your job done, you see a need and you feel like you want to solve a problem because, right? And have a, a because and have a why answer. Most managers will be more than happy to do that if, you, if you're getting your work done and, and you can communicate, hey, I want to you know, give this a go. That's the only missing link, right? You got to have the why or the because to get their buy-in. But that's a great start, right? And just, just listen. So we're approaching the end of today's show, but I have one final question that I'm asking all of our show guests about the tools they use in their daily life. The answers so far have really been across the board. So I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. Can you tell me what is one tool you will always keep in your toolkit, no matter what type of project you're working on? I'm going to go in a different direction from this conversation, but I'm finishing a deck in my house right now and I'm doing sort of this custom like hand banister. I've always seen joiners and I, I've, I've had a chance to use them in woodshop and you know, college and high school and all those other opportunities where you get a shop. I was fortunate enough to buy my first joiner. I will never go without it again. I mean, the things I can do with lumber now that I couldn't do two weeks ago, yeah, very off track, but joiner's the one for me. <laughs> New tool day is always an exciting day in my house as well. <laughs> I feel you on that one. Mark, how about you? Is there is there a single tool that you always keep in your toolkit? Yeah, just so everybody knows, Brandon's been working on that deck for six months. <laughs> so he actually does do work for work and this is his passion, but it, it's going to be beautiful, I'm sure, when it's all done. Yeah, I mean, I've got a pretty uh, traditional answer too. I have a really old combo square, which I literally use all the time. It's just one of those things that you never really think about until you have one in your pocket and you're trying to measure, you're trying to mark, you're trying to repeat marks. Super practical. We'll always have it on every project. I like the tape measure answer. I have a tape measure in my desk in front of me. I've got two in my roll top toolbox in the garage. I've got one in my car. Like the tape measure is something I, I use more than I think anything. And I keep one handy all the time. So I love it. Well, this has been a great conversation. And I've learned a lot about APIs and consuming construction tech from both of you. So thank you so much for joining. Do either of you have anything you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about? Yeah, I'd like to introduce people to CDM Smith. You know, we're a full service design and engineering firm focused on delivering a legendary client experience. Please look us up 
on your next project. Yeah, the only thing I would, I would really want to plug is our Autodesk Construction Cloud Connect, which works directly with our new Autodesk build offering, which we announced at Autodesk University. The one thing I would stress to users to take a look at our Autodesk Construction Cloud Connect is that it's not just for the Autodesk solutions. There are literally thousands of applications that you can address and, and ways that you can connect tools. So even if you're not an Autodesk user or an Autodesk product user, there's a lot of benefits to going on there, looking at that tool, seeing how it connects to tools like Box, Dropbox, Google Drive, Excel, Asana. I mean, the list goes on. It's a lot of fun to mess around with some really great tutorials. And again, speaking to you know, that, that demand for resources and knowledge on these sort of pre-baked, easy to understand what this integration will offer. Our team's done a really great job of providing that instructional info in an easy to consume, I think, easy to understand platform. So check it out. Uh, thanks, Brandon. And before we go, I did want to share that those listeners who are looking for more content on how to uplevel their use of construction tech, they just have to look at the Autodesk University website. So of course, the event ended in November, but since it was free, all the legacy content is still up there to consume. All you have to do is hop on, log in, and you can learn a whole bunch about how your peers are having success and find some new tools to improve the way you work. So if anybody out there has any questions for either of you, is there a great way that they can reach out and connect with you? LinkedIn, of course. Find me there. Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn or Courier Pigeon, either or. <laughs> I haven't heard that one yet. I, I like it. If you've got a cage of pigeons on your house, you're going to have to send me a photograph of that. Uh, it's going to be, you can send that with the finished deck photos when they come in. Good. Yeah. I'll have to add that. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. If you want to reach out to me with any questions or would like to be a guest on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. On that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.